Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 48, Consumer Fragmentation and the Self-Curated Life. How about that one? We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from the Power of Change Worldwide Headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. My brother, Jesse Fury, is here today with a Bonhoeffer house on with a custom hand-sewn hat. Looking good, man. Looking good. Uh, it's good to patch. be back. <laughs> it's good to be back. Yeah, I got I got my patch sewn on by uh, by a local uh, seamstress. So darn close. Look her up. She's on Etsy. It and wasn't Instagram. sewn on in Malaysia. It was no, right no. here in Radford. And by Virginia. the way, this whole like uh, critiquing my wardrobe. I'm wearing all denim today. Yeah, I'm not saying nothing. But I did have lunch with somebody today. And they got out of their car and saw me in my all denim ensemble, <laughs> and they said, "Hey, I was just listening to the podcast where Reed was making fun of you for wearing all denim. I had the exact same outfit on, so I guess that's on me." Oh no, I like it, man. <laughs> I, Jesse and I were talking right before we started about how I literally have no style, don't care about style, and uh, I'm, I'm you're fl- rocking those slip on, uh, <laughs> yeah, Skechers. Skechers, though. Yeah, I had a guy tell me that these were white boy shoes. I had no idea what he meant by that, and I told him, <laughs> like, I give one crap about the. <laughs> What you think these are white boy shoes. But anyway, man, uh, I got no skills, and Jesse's not quite foppish. That was a word from last episode, but uh, he, he's got a nice little... Uh, his quan is high in the style flow uh, technology. <laughs> hey, man, we were. We, who's your NBA team? We were talking about NBA before we Draft started. Draft lottery was last night, and my team did not do well. Not the Pelicans? No, the Pelicans? I'm not a Pelicans guy. I'm a Wizards guy. The Zards. Uh, we, yeah. we dropped from six to nine. Which is pretty much on par with uh, with our luck. <laughs> so not that I have much confidence we do well with the sixth pick or the third pick. I think we'd be able to rock the number one pick. But oh man, well the Wizards—that's local Washington. Yeah, I grew fandom, up in D.C. Fandom. I was bullet, bullets forever. I, I respect that. How about uh, you? They're not good. I, I I told my son this. He's a big NBA NBA fan, and I just I don't like the NBA until the playoffs, and then I then I watch the playoffs, so I like it. So I, I typically like, like the teams Steph that Curry. are good. I like Steph Curry. Yeah. Just because my son, he, he like irks, irks my son because he likes LeBron James and Steph Curry was always beating on LeBron James. But funniest tweet I saw this week was from a guy who uh, yesterday, or was today actually, I'll go ahead and say his name, Jeff Metters. What's up, Jeff? Uh, who's in Houston. He's a Houston pastor, oh, uh, no. author of Humble Calvinism. New book came out. Shout out for him. That's not even reviewish. Um, but Jeff, Jeff tweet, tweet, read, he subtweeted this thing that said Steph Curry banging down threes last night. And he goes, note all the moving screens. <laughs> and I was like, He's a bitter I Rockets like, fan. I was, I was like, you, <laughs> you mad, bro? <laughs> oh, man. Last time uh, I, I dropped. Steph a, is cooking right yeah, now in the is, playoffs. Man. They're splashing the yeah. Splash Brothers, you know, KD's hurt. They say, we don't care. Well, hey, uh, last two, well, two times ago when we were together, I, I dropped that little nonsense that uh, you haven't heard yet, but you'll have to listen to me rap another time, Jesse, on that episode <laughs> I'm 47. go back and listen. <laughs> yeah, but it is good. It's good. Check it out, y'all. But uh, two times ago, we talked about uh, new style secular religion. Yeah. We summarized some of that. And, and, and by way of talking about that, we talked about you know secularism today has dogma, you know, absolutizing freedom, sexuality, uh, hypocritical views of tolerance, uh, scientism, priesthoods, right, scientists, therapists, artists, whatever, uh, somebody to give us the truth, somebody to heal us, cathedrals, educational institutions, entertainments, uh, maybe where the Splash Brothers play, heretics, you know, absolutists, the wrong kind of Muslims, certainly sometimes of Christians, uh, and militants, right? There are 
people that are militant on social media, uh, curtailing free speech and education and new bigotry. You know, you can't tolerate the intolerance. So that was our kind of breakdown of and, secular religion. And these these five pillars of secular religion, this is all you, right? Well, I mean, I've been influenced by a lot of people over time, but this is my thinking. You should. Uh, obviously, I uh, knocked off the five pillars of Islam yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to uh, really religiousize secularism. But yeah, that's you need, to, you need to write this book. Yeah. You got your five chapters. We'll, we'll write the podcast. I would read this book. I mean, I listen to the podcast, too. I, you know, I don't want to get involved with the uh, uh, the industrial complex that is publishing. I like uh, just giving stuff away for free and writing. For well, that. I didn't say you had to Fluid. sell it. You could just write it. Yeah, I could just write it. There we go. We'll expand on okay. it and we'll okay. turn these podcasts into a book. Well, in closing that episode, yeah. we talked about some of the clashes that happen within secular kind of ideology. Like there's the gender wars, feminism versus trans activists. Right where, uh, you know, will will males who are girls take away scholarships, uh, government business grants? This is actually becoming a thing, a, a big clash up point. Modernists versus postmodernists, different kinds of uh, uh, atheists going at each other like P.Z. Myers, uh, you know, and uh, Sam Harris. And then political ideologues on the secular left, right, Islamophobia versus Islamic ignorance. What does it mean to be an immigrant today? And then finally, this thing we said was consumer fragmentation of the community due to um, this idea of a self-curated life. The freedoms that we've created for ourselves has fragmented community. We're going to talk about that today in, in some detail. That'll be our main topic. But before we get that, I think you have something as our resident uh, master of divinity in uh, rantology. I think you have a rant for us today. Is that right? You're going to let me rantology today. I'm going to let you do it, man. If you if you use a podcast application that has graphics, check out our rantology graphic on your screen right now. It's an angry-looking, <laughs> screeching little bat, and I love it. Jesse, how about that? <laughs> what do you got for us? Man, uh, okay, let me rant. Let me rant about Twitter beefs. Let me rant about Christian <laughs> famous people <laughs> using their platform on social media to beef with each other. I can't I can't handle this, Reed. This is so this is part of why I I don't do Facebook and Twitter. I can't do it. Because you get into beef. Or or somebody prefaces that I don't want to cause any static here, but Yeah. Yes you do. Forty thousand followers. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay, so I mean there's a little there, so there there was a little uh scuffle, little Twitter scuffle, uh in the in the in the very strange world that is the Christian subculture on Twitter. Baptist people. Yeah, Baptist yeah. yeah, that's probably my especially <laughs> strange, weird subculture. Um uh but this this is every week there's something. And uh and here's so here's what I want to say. I think I think oftentimes when we're subtweeting each other, when we're calling people out by name but not giving them an opportunity to respond or in, or engage or interact uh, what's ha- what's happening is sinful. It's just wrong. Yeah, yeah. There, there's uh, the ninth commandment is being broken, where we're bearing false witness against each. This happens all the time. Gossip, gossip yeah, is loud. happening. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and uh, and so I want not that it's going to happen, but I want them to stop. Yeah. This yeah. is this is like um you should get on Twitter. I should get on and, Twitter and, and put, <laughs> put, put put them on blast <laughs> and tell them to stop. I'm going to start at the Twitter beef to, to uh, end all Twitter beefs. My literally dozens of followers are going to yeah. are going to chime in. Yeah. I, so cuz here's the thing about it that drives me insane is um the church and Christianity like for for the watching world, we're already a little people know that we're a dysfunctional family. Right? And so 
but that's but that's family. Families jacked up. People fight in families. But you gotta you gotta keep the fights inside the house. <laughs> and when the fights spill out onto the street, and everybody watches you go to town on each other, and then the next week you're like, hey, you should come over to our family cookout. Yeah, like nobody wants to come to that cookout because they know what's what what type of people are going to be there. I, I saw a tweet uh, two days ago that said, hey, look what what comes out of people on Twitter isn't Twitter's fault. It's already what's in them. In other words, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth tweets. Um, but the thing okay, is, but the thing is, but, man, you don't need everything from everybody coming out all the time. We, that's we, right. We actually don't want to hear everybody's evil thoughts that might be inside them all the time. It's that's kinda, right. Yeah. yeah. So let me let me extend the rant if you'll permit yeah. this. Yeah. So you got thirty seconds. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, what 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 stirs up inside comes out on Twitter, but but Twitter itself is designed in a way to draw that stuff out of us. That's right. So the whole platform itself is an outrage platform. It's a follower build my plot. It's build my, my thing. And and I build it by taking aim at other people controversy, outrage and, and, uh, and and making others, us, them. Uh, and not only that, but the the whole thing is fragmentational. It, 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 it buffers me against other people. It create, it helped. I draw lines and I put people in boxes and I don't invite them into any kind of meaningful incarnational (laughs) in the flesh person to person conversation. I don't give them a voice. Uh, it drives me nuts. Well, so I like no okay one more thing yeah. I got I'm taking 20 more seconds <laughs> not so then Twitter especially is terrible at this other thing where it it takes everything everything is flattened so that when I'm on Twitter I got to engage with cute puppy pictures and office memes and me too movement stuff all at the same yeah. level all super fast and my we we're not designed to do that it feels insane doesn't it where you really literally will scroll down somebody it being does. cute and funny somebody literally blowing someone else off somebody talking about the most deep painful issues in the world yeah. it's just it's a little bit insane and the platform itself then undermines our ability to be able to like make allies the, uh, to think reasonably right. about things because we blow someone up thinking it's the biggest deal in the world when it might not be, and vice versa. That's right. And and here's the thing, too, guys. I've heard many of my friends, um, and I try, Jesse. I, I am on Twitter. You do well on uh, Twitter. I try to, I, I try just, to weaponize yeah. social media, not for the destruction of others, but for the encouragement of others, sharing professional links, trying to learn things from people that I want to learn from, uh, and then have some fun. But, you know, nobody's. we're not perfect in what we do on social media, but uh, having those moments where you pause, but you just don't throw stuff back at people. It's very, very hard not to do. But yeah. one of the things I've been convicted of, and even conversations offline in the analog world with people say, well, this, this is something I'm passionate about. This is a cause, you know, but you can be right about a cause and then have a process or a way about going about things that is actually just really wrong. This, this is a passage in second Timothy in the new Testament of the Bible have nothing to do with foolish ignorant controversies for you know that they breed quarrels amen um i think that's disobeyed constantly yeah uh, by those who respect the scriptures and the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness so that god may perhaps grant them repentance and knowledge of the truth so this is something that i think if you're on twitter right you're going to have Jesse rant at you. <laughs> but seriously. I, I mean, frankly, I won't. You know how I found out about that? I was reading 
somebody pointed me to a Baptist news article. It's news. What, it's <laughs> the Twitter beast. So I, I actually news. won't know because I'm not on Twitter, but oh, someone yes. will tell me. Well, our main topic, Jesse, is actually <laughs> very, very relevant to your Twitter uh, beef beefs, uh, your beef with Twitter beefs, uh, consumer fragmentation in the self-curated, mm. curated, self-curated life. What I mean by that, um, today we have created a world. Um and, I, and I'm going to be very careful here to not uh, allude to the fact that I think this world is good or bad. But our world uh, becomes very micro-focused on our own desires, our own needs, our own consumer preferences, which begins to fragment us into communities uh, huddled up around niche loves, niche consumer uh, goods, uh, tribes around products or sports teams or whatever. Um, and we treat everything this way today. Morality, ethics, politics, our own families. We're building what we might call micro selves, right, that love certain things. Uh, and then when other folks get near us, we kind of resort to this kind of power moves. Now, this is not um, a random occurrence in history. In fact, you can trace simple t trends um, based on freedom, which we would say, right, on the Gospel Underground, we're pro-freedom, right? You know, right. Yes. Um, you, you, we don't want to live in a place where there's no human freedom. So when we have certain freedoms, uh, we create choices for ourselves. And the way this happened has been uh, enabled by technology in some fascinating ways. Uh, let me just give uh, an example of music, right? Um, let's go way back in the day, back towards, you know, when there wasn't a whole lot of technology. And if you wanted to have music, you might sit around the campfire warning your, warming yourself after killing a beast on the savannah, and you might sing some <laughs> songs together, right? Maybe in some ancient Mesopotamia, whatever. You're making fire. You're making some music. You're playing the spoons. You're singing, and that, that was music. Made. Well, even in music in the home, you know, people singing together. It was kind of a social event. Uh, when it moved into, say, like into the high concert halls of like high European society, uh, Victorian ages, these kind of things, you're still listening to music together, right, in a place. It was a shared experience. Uh, maybe it was deemed good enough to record it when we created, you know, uh, uh, record players, you know, that are coming back in style now. You could take that music then and play it in your room or something like that. Now, you see, even with small technologies like that, moving from a public shared communitarian experience to maybe a more personal one, mm. uh, then about, you know, started throwing music through the radio. We started to have stations, right? Because I like this music. I don't like that music. So we start to sh uh, shift into our preferences and our tribes through radio stations. And then when you add in things like the Walkman. Now, Jesse, you're old enough, right? Oh, I had a Walkman. You, you probably had. I still have a Walkman somewhere in my, and it's in a drawer in our desk up in, upstairs. Okay. Um, and the only reason I kept it, just in case I ever need to play a tape, right? I don't know when that is, you know. <laughs> Have um, you, and you're still keeping it for that reason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just in case somebody mails it to me on a pigeon and I need to, I need to play the cassette tape, right? I, I, I still have a, a cassette player yeah. for that. But the Walkman was an interesting thing, not just technologically, um, but it was also an interesting thing of what it did to culture and society. This is a quote from a book called The Perfect Thing, uh, uh, How the iPod Shuffles Commerce, Culture, and Coolness by Stephen Levy. This is Simon & Schuster, 2006 publication. Now, he starts talking about this personalization of technology when he's speaking about the Walkman, which is like a 1980s device. He said this, The Walkman was about not about sharing. 
It was about not sharing. It was a me machine, an object of empowerment and liberation. The experience of listening to your Walkman is intensely insular. This is what a critic named Vincent Jackson wrote in an essay entitled Menace to Society. The Walkman signals signals the desire to cut yourself off from the world at the touch of a button. You close your eyes and you can be anywhere. Jackson's essay also dealt with the bad vibes that were beamed his way by bystanders who were indignant that he chose to reject their aural environment for the one of his own choosing. Worse than that, he had fun doing it, putting on his Walkman headphones. His message to the world, piss off. Now, what he's saying there is that when you were allowed to take... Um, headphones and put them on and now we do this all the time through our iphones or whatever android phones or samsung galaxy 10s um we we choose the intellectual the oral environment what we're listening to what do i want on my mp3 player what i want to hear on my iphone uh we get customized uh preferences recommended to us by technology based on our listening habits you know for instance uh pandora you say hey i like this my wife will put in like i like that song of some country music song she'll make a whole station around it um and then certainly um curated playlists from spotify apple music they recommend things to us based on our our preferences and so what happens and this is just an example of music is that we have this wonderful freedom and these wonderful choices and man let's let's be honest we love this right yeah i'm having a hard time because um i really like this i don't like your stu- <laughs> i don't like your stupid music and you don't like mine well maybe we don't even know what what music we like but that's kind of the way we can do is hey if if you're not into you know, hip hop music, you can listen to top 40 mm-hmm. music or you can listen to death metal or you can listen to whatever country music you would like or you could watch The Voice and hear all of them compete uh, uh, in, a, in a singing show. But this, this type of experience is enabled by technology and we love it because it allows us to have and share the things we actually enjoy and, and be able to cut off the noise if we didn't like what was playing in the concert mm. hall. The same thing has been true of information. Uh, right in the olden days, maybe there was a huge library in Alexandria or somebody had a pot of scrolls in the Qumran community like the Dead Sea Scrolls where they shared literature. Uh, libraries certainly evolved over the years. Where we got very organized in our book, book publishing, certainly in our civilization and keeping track of the making of many books, which there is no end. But then the digital technology revolution of the 20th century really changed everything where you had almost this ideology about information combined with these delivery systems like the World Wide Web and uh, packet switch networks like the Internet where we could send masses amounts of data computer to computer and have it redundantly uh, stored and shared and then retrieved very quickly. Now, that began mostly in academic settings uh, where people doing research on a certain subject would you know, use the Internet to share information. Uh, but that became a very public thing in, say, like the early 1990s and onward. Um, and some of you lived through this where there was a, a website, this huge, big Internet boom company called Yahoo, started by a Stanford uh, graduate student named Jerry Yang. And Yahoo was like, oh, we'll make lists of all the good stuff that's now appearing on the World Wide Web. So it was kind of curated. People were picking and making a directory around different interests and topics and news and things that expanded very rapidly. Now, obviously, as information grew uh, exponentially, it's going to be very hard for humans to keep track of that. But there were groups where like what were called web portals were created like Excite and Yahoo had one where you could pick your news sources and make your little homepage and come on. There was even a 
Christian one called crosswalk.com where you put your Bible verse on there and then your new stuff is same kind of idea. Um, but, but even then that wasn't going to keep up with the amount of information. So Google, you know, that was invented by Sergey Brin and Larry Page, uh, two also grad students, I believe Page with the university of Michigan, uh, Sergey, I believe was Stanford, uh, where they were creating these massive algorithms to search the internet very rapidly. In, in fact, they were like, well, why can't we put the whole internet on a hard drive and just search it really quickly? And basically that's what they do. They constantly index all the world's information and create ways to search it very quick and then rank those search results based on influence and other links and things like that in their algorithm. It's a very, very powerful company now because they literally show you what you uh, want. When you search Jesse Fury, it's going to come up with a few things. And then from there, we went to social media, right, where maybe you follow influencers who say good things and give good links, and maybe your friends. Uh, of course, there's been uh, collateral consequences to that, things like Facebook, Twitter. Um, and now we're looking at uh, a return to uh, more... Um, curation where like hey maybe we should care about good news sources and where do i go to get that so there's news aggregators like flipboard or or on the iphone apple news which would pour in pull in maybe what are considered reliable news sources but the algorithm still is holding sway you know like if you like this you'll like that and so advertising is done like that but certainly netflix spent a lot of money uh giving awards to people helping develop their recommendation engine where you know if you like certain things or watch certain things on netflix other things shows up i i think it's become terrible mainly because my wife, when I travel, she basically, this is a true story, she basically likes to watch like shows like The History of the Russian Czars. <laughs> <laughs> and she never, she's watching this show on the Russian Czars and she always falls asleep to it when I'm on the road. And she's never gotten past episode two, but Netflix thinks that's all we watch. <laughs> so that's all we get recommended. It's like this homepage is worthless to us because there's this algorithm, right, saying, oh, they like Russian czars a whole lot. So they would like this history of castles and William Wallace. And so it's uh, I guess there could be worse things on our Netflix homepage. But that's uh, that's the reality with information. We've gone through this, hey, let's pull it together with humans, and then we'll have algorithms that help us do it. But really what's driving these still, things still is this kind of, what do I want? Um, what are my uh, consumer preferences that are being um, expressed here? Now, again, we love this. This is a wonderful thing that we can experience. We can watch the shows we want on TV um, and not have to watch the stuff we don't like. Well, there's some assumptions that are at work, particularly lately, we could call it Silicon Valley culture. Now, my undergraduate degree was in applied computer science and physics, and so I was around the people inventing a lot of things in the technological world. In fact, UNC Chapel Hill had a fantastic computer science graduate school, and so mainly computer graphics were a big, big the type of stuff that eventually turned into the Pixar machines and things like that was being done in the 90s at UNC when I was there. But there was this kind of ethic or, or these kind of baseline assumptions uh, from technologists that have been at play, which I think have now caused some problems in our society. First of all, uh, this idea of the d democratization of information or this mantra that information wants to be free. Like everybody should have access to all the world's information all the time. That's kind of a core value that comes out of Silicon Valley. Or the, the Internet would be the democratization of, of giving everyone a voice, right? Everyone has a voice. This will be great, and everyone will be set free, right? I, I see you laughing, right? Because like, um, it's, right. Not, it's not great. 
right? <laughs> right? It's great when everyone has a voice, but if everyone has a voice, then everyone is saying you got to listen yeah, yeah everyone's yeah. saying everything um uh, you know the and the other thing is like the most popular things are best i i listened to a podcast about youtube's recommendation engines recently and and youtube from the very beginning was like what is the best well it's what everybody watches right that's how their algorithms work mm. so if you're starting a brand new youtube channel it's very hard to break into that world because you don't have 10 million views so you don't get vi- uh, visited as much or in their in their surfacing algorithm rhythms but um google as well you know what what is really popular seemingly should bubble to the top um that's maybe an assumption that maybe isn't always true um and then the lack of centralized control right um even things in modern uh, uh economic and distributed finance theories like uh, uh, bitcoin and cryptocurrencies right we're gonna have a currency that's not backed by any government it's supported by us it's independent of everyone no centralized control we think that's great or at least uh, technocrats of silicon valley think that's great but when you lack central uh, centralized control what happens when all the voices that are all chirping at the same time all tweeting rapidly and vehemently start to disagree what if behind the anonymity of the web uh, people start to be harsh and cruel and hateful right Mm. so what's happened is that there were all these internet optimists uh, that this you know creation of all these choices and giving everyone a voice would just make a better world but really what's happened is that uh, that worldview uh, forgot that man is sinful and separated from God. And the good that flows with human beings also has the uh, the dark side of things that for the sinfulness of you, the depravity of the human nature uh, flows with it as well. We've talked about the resulting chaos here on the podcast, episode 34, the chaos of Internet mm-hmm. culture. But some of the things that happen is that when we have all these choices to say, hey, I just listen to these people, we, we can conti- uh, tend to create uh, ideological echo chambers. You know, if you, you're a Fox News watcher, you watch all the Fox News people, Ben Shapiro, that kind of thing. If you're on the left, you follow all leftists. Uh, and then everyone in your world is saying how stupid everyone else is and the other worlds are. And these worlds just clash and your your ideas are reinforced without being challenged. Mm-hmm. Certainly that leads to what scholars have called confirmation bias. You see something, you know what it's all about. Yeah, oh yeah, that's what this is. This is racial racism. This is uh, white supremacy. This is, and many times it is, right? This is those right-wing conspiracists. This is those leftist so- media Cultural Marxists. Cultural Marxists yeah. and social justice war. These kinds of things happen because of this insulation from, a, from each other, because we have able to curate these lives just for ourselves of the things that we want to hear, want to listen to, and the voices that we take. So yeah, th- this is really an interesting, uh, this coheres pretty well with um, what Charles Taylor's talk. Charles Taylor in his book, A Secular Age, talks about the buffered self. Yeah. And in particular, how uh, in pre-Reformation times, we had porous selves. In other words, uh, the world was enchanted. There were, you know, goblins and monsters and and angels and fairies in the woods. woods. Uh, But also that buffering is connected to this sense of volunteerism. Like I I have a a sense of my own sovereignty and choice and things. Uh, Some things in which are good, like you're, uh, we're talking about here. Right. 
Uh, but the, what happens is we become buffered not just from the fairies in the woods, but we become buffered from each other. Uh, we we become buffered from the sense that God is sovereign, and 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 we become more and more isolated and insulated. And uh, I mean, really, when we think about what you're talking about, the power that I have at my fingertips, yeah, yeah. It, whether or not I I'm thinking about it, it's reinforcing something, a belief system that I have about myself. Yep. Uh, and, and that's, that is, a, is an issue that I don't, and I don't think Taylor addresses technology very much. Yeah. He's a little before yeah, some of the, some of the, uh, I don't think the iPhone was even out when he wrote the, it or it was the, right the, around the long tail of what is happening and what will continue to happen yeah. is, was probably not. And, and so this is really interesting to, to Taylor, think about yeah. the, 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 the curated, uh, life through technology and how much it continues to reinforce this sense of. Um, yeah, like the the sovereign self, and yeah. and and really, it insulates us from each other. And we talked we talked a couple times ago about the book, the coddling of the American mind, and how the fragility of people today who can't even hear. You know, you, the candidate you didn't like gets elected for presidents, and we set up crying rooms on college campuses. I wish I would, in coloring books, right? Go color and cry. <laughs> Because Hillary won or Donald Trump's won, you know, this that we can't handle anything like that. Which, anymore. by the way, was completely unthinkable because of the echo chamber and confirmation. That's bias. right. That's I mean, right. Yeah. Right. It was unthinkable that Donald Trump would win because right. there was such an echo chamber. And that's right. Yeah. That's right. We they weren't hearing those who they thought were of a poor view of yeah. the world or something. So, but we don't want to be fragile people we don't want to be uncivil people but i do want to listen to the music i'm going to listen we to we do read. want to listen to and the, and the podcast that i will especially to. the podcast yeah, that's what yeah. i do i that's my favorite music style podcast um but there is a consequence to it yeah. right and so i think even people in silicon valley and and those creating technology are realizing some of the realities of the world in many ways that they've created uh it's interesting to see articles today about uh Silicon Valley executives wanting to send their children to screenless schools when technology was pitched as this wonderful thing for kids in education. And now uh, maybe not so much because we're seeing some of the other consequences. But some of the solutions to this fragmented um, everything, everybody has a voice, doesn't mean everybody's got a good voice. Not everyone has a right to speak on things. This is something that's been lost. It used to mean you'd have to either have a, a good reputation, a good name, um, some credibility to speak about something, maybe an education, maybe you have written a book on something, so that you weren't just spewing nonsense into the world. And that was respected. And, and I think people are realizing maybe we should continue uh, to respect these things. So curation is something that's coming back. We're like, hey, maybe we should look at content that people that are smart and humble and wise and maybe learned have put together on a certain topic, right? And Because otherwise we just listen to anyone and everyone on a certain subject. I don't want to get religious and speak about vaccines or anything, but these kinds of things happen and sometimes with severe consequences. And I know you guys are out there are right and wrong about vaccinations. So curation and trusting those who have a right to speak on something I think is something that's coming back um, in recommendations from people are starting to matter more than just recommendations from algorithms. And now, <laughs> shockingly, this is the one I think is a little shocking. The other solution to this kind of chaos uh, today being proposed is censorship. Um, and this is interesting for you know an American republic who has in the First Amendment of our Bill of Rights uh, the right to free speech, right? 
So I think free speech has always been controversial. I think it will always be because people um, get to say things we don't approve of, we don't like, we think is hateful, we think is evil. And if we don't support that, then we don't really believe in free free speech. We just believe in approved speech by the powers, right, that be. And so because the problems on Facebook and Twitter have grown, grown so severe, and I think because, like, voices that people don't really want having a sway over folks, um, there are actually people being censored now. Uh, on these platforms now again facebook isn't the government they're they're a private business i think they can take uh lewis farrakhan and alex jones they can bar them from its services if they want to but it certainly brings up the question then once again of censorship like what kind of society we're creating because well we don't like all these people let's silence them because that just leads to uh, the question of who gets to say yeah, who has the power to censor yeah, yeah. Um, the grand, um, what Chuck Colson once called the grand says who, well, that's wrong says who, hmm. right? And in a secular world where there is no, uh, sovereign, there is no author of good. There is no moral lawgiver like we believe in, like God who, who teaches us, uh, up from down, right from wrong. Uh, if that does not exist, well, who says? The grand says who kind of holds sways. And usually, and Nietzsche was the honest uh, atheist of the late 19th century who said what will result, right, is uh, the bloodiest century ever, which we experienced in the 20th century, as well as just a will to power of one point of view over another where we just go to war on things. Or you become a great person where you can subject subjugate all the people and you're the one that says who what a scary world that could be because it does happen, has happened, and will happen mm. throughout history. So what do we do, right? Do we listen to all that crappy music that other people like, Jesse, or do we stay in our curated <laughs> boxes of uh, self? I'm going to keep curating my music. <laughs> me too, man, me too. And my podcast. Yeah. Well, how can we... Um, I've got a few recommendations just to close us out here today, brother. Um I do think, and this is something like we have children, both of us. Um, I think that we're, as we raise kids in this society, um, it's very important for us to even train them in some of these ways of engaging both with the full-flowing media and information age, but also with this yelling, Twitter-beefing, chaos, shout each other down, get your coloring books in Christ because something somebody disagrees with you age. So these are just some very simple, uh, I don't claim any kind of high-mindedness to these recommendations as we close. First is to read and engage with broad sources. Mm. Curate them for yourselves. So you should prefer things that have footnotes, uh, people that actually have experience in a certain area and discipline. That means they maybe have an education in that area. If somebody calls them a scientist and they, they don't have a PhD, they're not a scientist. I had one guy calling himself a physicist years ago in, in a pastor's forum, and he had a BS in physics. Like, bro, you're not a physicist. <laughs> um, so learn to identify, like, credible sources. And I think in terms of news and politics, we ought to uh, read well from both sides. Why? Because we want to weigh things with some fairness and patience. Um, so and I, secondly, okay. Can I, uh, let yeah. me, can I throw one out there? So, uh when we think about reading and engaging with broad sources, I think we agree about this. Um, I think uh, C.S. Lewis's introduction to Athanasius's On the Incarnation, yep. he, he, it's, which is the introduction is worth reading. I think there's a PDF out there you can read. 
um, that's where he mentions the importance of reading acro- broadly across uh, the generations. So reading in the past, and I think he recommends, I don't know, reading maybe every other book from a past century. But he makes a really interesting point that that must have been in that context especially shocking uh, that that generations from now people will look back at Churchill and Hitler and see similarities that that were at the time right like so right now we might think that the person on the far left and if, if we're on the far right couldn't be farther from me but we share so many similarities that are blind to us because of our uh, cultural situatedness yeah yeah that that we that we don't share with someone from the 12th century or the 18th century and so it really helps to read across the ages too yeah that's i think where the term chronological snobbery yeah that's is right. used by lewis and uh, the the virtue of reading old books so generational uh diversity, we have a lot to learn from the ancients yeah, yeah. And, and when you say hitler and in uh churchill people are like oh what do you mean well they were both empire builders it, they were it, both it, modern yes. men they were both empire builders they had they shared similar kind of perspectives on the way the world operates That's even right. though they were far far in extreme right. yeah we would still close enough to say one was a megalomaniac murderer and one was that's trying right. to contradict but, and, and yet they were closer guy. to each other yeah. than maybe one would be to uh, Thomas of Aquinas or yeah. or something like that. Yeah, a medieval villager right. who's living on uh, you know on somebody's land, or even Luther somebody. who 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 thought that um, you know he, who threw his ink ink wells at demons in his in his office <laughs> while he was studying. Right, right, right. You don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I don't have an ink well, but yeah. Um, when you're looking for good sources, you do want to know their biases ahead of time. Like you ought to know if certain news sources have a certain political leaning. That's okay to to look at like, oh, well, where are these folks coming from? You should know that because mm. people typically do grind their biases. You don't want to ignore them, but you want to know where they're mm. coming from. And I think uh, when you check people against other points of view, it's very, very helpful as we try to discern what's true from false. Now we'll probably do a whole another episode uh, in the future on this because it's really weird. Um, nowadays it's like, well, if you could see a video or hear them say it, uh, then we'll know it's true. Well, man, I tell you what, you talk about fake news. There are artificial intelligence technologies now where they can take someone who speaks publicly, like for instance, like Barack Obama, and they can sample his voices and make them say anything. And so can you think of the havoc, say, that the Russian spies or whatever uh, could do with, you know, making, you know, certain political people say something and even do it again video where it's fully looks like somebody saying something they did not say. So we're going to have a lot to do. But footnotes, reputation of sources, knowing their biases, these are how we identify things as we engage with. And finally, the thing I really want to encourage all of us in today, because I think it's most lacking in our day, is to reengage certain virtues, both in our engagement with content, whether that's knowledge or entertainment, uh, but certainly in our engagement with other human beings. One of the things that's beautiful about the the truth that Jesus taught is that people are made in the image and likeness of God and by uh, by nature, by the very essence of what we are, people deserve our respect because they have built-in dignity. Um, that has been lost primarily because we identify people as we either friend or foe, ideological enemy or, or comrade, and in doing so, um, we do not treat each other well. So being civil, right, um, and by this I mean kindness towards other people, uh, seeking to have empathy, try to uh, put yourself in someone else's shoes, as it were, to, to feel with them, 
Um, and then as Christians, that we are we are trusting in God. We have hope for the future and we're called to love people, even our enemies. And so as we interact, we need to fully uh, embody, even in disembodied places like Twitter, we need to embody kindness, empathy, faith, hope and love for other mm. people. And as we uh, interact with those we, we disagree on, how will we um, how will we make the aroma of what we hold true look better by the way we adorn it um, with our own? I don't want to use the word. Yeah. Behavior. Yeah. As it were, wherever we live, work, tweet. Mm, yeah. That that reminds me of uh, in the Bible, Philippians four, uh, verse eight says this. Uh, Finally. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Like that, that, that uh, recommendation of pursuing virtue in the way that we engage with one another is also about virtue in the way that we uh, think the way that we uh, curate what we're thinking about and pondering. And by the way, this is a uh, part of the reason why I have a difficult time with things like Twitter is I will, I won't always engage, but I will spend like four hours thinking about how I would win that argument. That is totally meaningless. It's not good. It's not beautiful. It's not true. It's not honorable. And it's not treating someone with civility and kindness. And so I think that's a really good recommendation. Or there's another phenomenon that I've been guilty of doing where I just read Twitter for 20, 30 minutes and and I I run myself into this corner of despair. Yes. Because I'm like, wow, look at how we treat each other. (laughs) Yes. Look at how horrible this is. And look at all these people jumping in doing the same thing. This is not good for anybody. And then I leave like discouraged about the earth and yeah. whether God is real. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah. In light of Philippians four eight, um, which my my kids' school used to have that as kind of a theme verse, which I mm. really love. Similar thing from the Old Testament. This is out of Psalm nineteen, and I think we'll wrap it here, Jesse. Yeah. Um, as a believer, we follow Jesus. As a member of the gospel underground, interacting in the borderlands between the church and culture, we have to have this mind in ourselves. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, be pleasing to you, O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. We do, friends, uh, do all things, our curated playlists, our Netflix recommendations, our reading, our interaction with information. We do those quorum Deo before the face of God, who is good, and will lead us in a good path in our interactions in this curated day as we create ourselves out of the fragments of modern 21st century life. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the Bonhoeffer House. Please review us on iTunes. Five stars are acceptable. I think we're up double 21, something like that now, Jesse. We're getting getting, uh, podcasts out there. Send your comments, feedback, and or questions you might want us to take up here on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture, between Alex Jones and Louis Farrakhan. <laughs> Ban him from Facebook. We hope to see you out there. Peace. Peace.